nursery and preschool. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. We're continuing our fall series through the book of Proverbs. And the theme of our series is a time for wisdom. And in particular, our theme today is a time for wisdom in our generosity. The past two weeks, we emphasized U.S. ministries. That is, ministries that we support, ministries that we're engaged in across the country. The best thing, the only thing really we can do to save our country is to engage the people of our nation with the gospel. And United States Ministries involves church planting, and we say particularly holistic church planting, church plants that bring the gospel to this nation in word and in deed, in mercy and in justice, and also in the gospel proclamation. U.S. Ministries also involves campus ministries. I came to Christ through a campus ministry. Many of us came to Christ through a campus ministry. You want to reach the next generation, reach the campus. And so United States Ministries is something that we're engaged in. The point is that United States Ministries and our awareness of our generosity to United States Ministries is not just an end in itself. It also helps us make our way into what we call stewardship season. It's the time of the year where we do some family business, members especially, but regular attenders that want to practice generosity toward Christ through Oak Mountain. And it's an opportunity for us to realize just what our generosity God uses to accomplish in U.S. ministries, but also in various ministries around uh, the community. Guys, I'm going to switch things up a little bit. If you put up the pie chart, I want you all to know where you're giving, where your tithes and offerings go. And what I especially want you to notice is how balanced, how integrated uh, the aim of our giving goes. There's administration, facilities, utilities and capital, debt service, adult discipleship and outreach, shepherding, mercy, executive director, communications, U.S. missions, children's ministry, senior pastor and worship, and youth. And if you can see the pie, it's between 7 and 12%. In other words, if you add up the staffing, the programming, all of the uh, structural needs, facility needs, we have a very balanced ministry. So you can know that when you tithe, it's actually going to all of these ministries that we're trying to do together as a team. One of the things that the staff really fights against in our staff meetings are things called silos. We don't want to work from silos. We want to work as a team. And even though the individual ministries break down into those elements, it's really one whole pie that we're committed to. So the next couple weeks, we're going to look at various proverbs that encourage us toward generosity. Now, to get us started this morning... I'm going to show you a brief clip. It's actually a very short documentary. Uh, the Today Show on NBC, their morning show, they actually showed this to begin with. And as you watch, it's, it's, it's a group of young people who are being raised in low-income housing 
in Atlanta. And they're going to face decisions related to generosity and giving. And so much of what you're going to see applies to us as we consider God calling us to apply wisdom in our generosity. Watch. This year for Christmas, what are you hoping to get? A computer. Big, giant Barbie house. A trophy case. Xbox 360. Minecraft Legos. What do you think your mom or dad want for Christmas? My mom would probably want a ring. She's never really had a ring. Jewelry. She loves jewelry. A new TV. Like watches. So, we actually did buy an Xbox 360. What in the world? I wanted this! Okay, you you really got this for me? A new laptop. Wow, and it's a necklace. So we also bought a necklace because you said you also wanted to get a necklace for your mom or your auntie. The catch is that you can either get a gift for yourself huh? or you can pick a gift for your mom and dad. I need you to pick one. Now, now before you answer, Oh, I bet that's hard. Is that a really hard question? Mm-hmm. What gift do you pick? I choose this. I gotta go with the ring. What gift do you pick? That one. That one. That dress. I'll choose this for my mom. I'll choose this one. It's a really tough question. I'll but give him this. You already know? Tell me why. Because Legos don't matter. Lego, your family matters. Not Legos, not toys, your family. So it's either family or Legos, and I choose family. I get gifts every year from my family, and my mom don't get anything. If I get a laptop, my mom will get something. She helps me when I'm sick. She helps me with my homework. She gave me a house to live in. They look out for me and do stuff for me, so I need to give back to them. Now I have the opportunity to give them something. Because you actually picked the gift for your family, you're actually going to go home with both. Tell me how you're feeling. I'm feeling really happy and Why? thankful. Just happy. Thankful. For your family? For what? My family. Everything. You did make his decision, actually. And he picked the Pandora Charms. Thanks, guys. Why is a clip like that so moving? I've seen it 20 times, and every time I see it, I tear up. Why? I, th I think because it's a holy moment 
when God peels back the layers of blindness and we're able to see the beauty of his grace in action. I think we're moved because what we just saw is just beautiful. It's beautiful when people stop thinking of themselves and start thinking of others. It's, it's beautiful when people want to give out of gratitude and not obligation or duty. It's beautiful when one person wants to see another person experience happiness and joy. And when it comes to generosity, we're to see and experience that same beauty. When the Bible talks about generosity, it's, it's not trying to shame us or guilt us. It's wanting us to, to see the beauty and to experience grace that frees us from self to seek first the kingdom of God. Proverbs 3 leads us in an understanding of how God longs for us to become generous people. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's word and follow along as I read uh, Proverbs 3, verses 1 to 10. This is God's word. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Here's the famous passage that we all know. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us, and he longs for us to experience the beauty of his grace manifest through surprising generosity. Let's pray. Father, would you free us the way those children were freed by your common grace? Lord, I don't even know how many of those kids know you, but it was obvious that your grace had fallen upon them. And so, God, may your grace fall upon us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, this is the second time that we've looked at Proverbs chapter 3. But what I hope you glean from this particular reading 
is that as we read Proverbs 3, and as we come upon that famous verse uh, 5, trust the Lord with all your heart, that many of us know, I want us to realize the context of that verse. Maybe you've never noticed it before, but the context of trust in the Lord with all your heart, the larger context is generosity. The whole chapter or the whole passage concludes with verses 9 and 10. Everything in verses 1 through 8 is building up to verses 9 and 10. So the commandments and showing love, showing faithfulness, trusting the Lord, acknowledging God, not being wise in our own eyes, turning away from evil, it all leads up to honoring God with our wealth. And also in our own way with the first fruits of our produce. So three actions God calls us to engage in that leads to practicing surprising generosity. First of all, examine your heart. Verse 5, the famous verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's the command. Honor God with your wealth. Verse 9, that's the application. God is saying that when we really practice surprising generosity, it will always require faith. So let me ask you, as you look at your generosity, as you look at what you give to the Lord through this church, does it require faith? Are we giving out of our surplus? Are we giving out of that which is comfortable? Or does our generosity lead us to a place where we actually have to trust God to provide what we need? You see, that's what the first fruits, first fruits in verse 9 talks about. See, all of the Old Testament church, they were called to tithe. Tithe means 10% of all of your earnings as they occur. The first fruits was generosity above the tithe. The first fruits was an offering when the harvest was beginning again. Now you need to realize just what faith that required. Because they were already out of almost everything they had reserved from the previous harvest. And now... A new harvest is coming, and the first of the crops that they desperately need to feed their family comes up. And God says, but you can't have that. You've got to bring that to me first. And the reason why God had the Old Testament church do that was because it helped them remember that it's not their own labor that produces for them. It's the grace of God. See, many of us think that what we earn is actually due to our own industriousness and our own gifts. And one of the reasons God wants us to practice tithing, giving 10%, is so that we might be reminded constantly that the only reason we have anything is because of the kindness of his grace. Listen, I know lots of men in ministry, for instance, who have been in ministry for decades, let's say in Japan, where our son Michael is, and they've labored every bit as hard as I have, and they've never seen a single convert. 
Japan's a hard place. But the point is, only God can bring the fruit. My, my point is that, that all kinds of people work hard and haven't reaped the income that some of us have. And we need to realize it's not because we're better. It's not because you're more gifted. It's not because you work harder. It is, the, it is the grace of God. And at any moment, God could decide to lift that hand of prosperity. And you could work just as hard and not make any money. And the tithe is a way that we remember. We're to examine our hearts to see, in fact, whether we really do believe that all that we have we have as a gift from God. Are you practicing generosity in such a way that you need an attitude of trust? Then he goes on to say in verse 5, do not lean on your own understanding. And as he talks about the first fruits, you got to wonder, what, how does that apply to us? Well, again, first fruits is above and beyond the tithe. The first fruits came at a harvest time. So they were already tithing and they gave above a tithe. Does your generosity constantly call you to add more and more and more and more to your generosity? See, when we're young and we are finding our career path, we do think more and more and more and more, but it's for self. I want to make more, I want to make more, I want to make more. Have we stopped to consider that God is saying to us, I'm going to give you more and more and more and more so that you could bless others more and more and more and more. You see, we, we have to understand our assumptions. If, if we're making more and constantly spending more on ourselves, then we actually begin to think it's ours. It's, it's not ours. None of it's ours. It's all his. Now, he may let us keep 85, 90% that he still wants to be used for his glory. But examine your heart with respect to humility as well. Do you believe you're the owner? Or do you believe truly at the depth of your being that God is the owner. Examine your heart for an attitude of trust. Examine your heart for an attitude of humility. Then examine your heart for an attitude of love. Look at verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Now, that doesn't mean giving him a wave. That doesn't mean you're walking down the sidewalk with your phone and you see somebody you know. And so, okay, That's not acknowledging God. Acknowledging God, that's a strong word. That, that's the word about, that captures the intimacy between a husband and a wife. And, and God is saying, examine your heart to see whether love is compelling you to generosity. That's what I loved about that, that documentary, the, the Today Show. Those kids were aware of how they were loved and they wanted to show love in response. I mean, how many times during the week 
do we have presence on the table? One for God and one for us. And we look, us, God, us, God, us, God, us, God. And does the love that God has shown for us enter our hearts and move us? You see, giving is not mere duty. Generosity is not mere obligation. God wants us to examine our hearts to see whether or not it truly is love and humility and trust that compels us. Verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. When it comes to practicing generosity, where are you repenting? That's a great question. It's not a shame question. It's not a guilt question. It's a growth question. If we're not repenting, we're not growing. So as you consider generosity, where are you turning from evil? And if you're going to tell me, Bob, I'm just not repenting in that area, I would submit to you that you might need to spend some time before the Lord. I'm repenting. I'll tell you, I'll be vulnerable. You know what I'm repenting of? Lori and I give above and beyond the tithe. We have for years. And I've actually become a little self-righteous about it. And God's saying, you're still comfortable. Bob, what if you gave so you were more uncomfortable and I tell you I'm wrestling I'm I'm like those kids right now because I want to compare myself to other people that I know aren't even tithing actually I don't know they're not I don't by the way I don't know what anybody in this church gives and I never will know probably because I wouldn't talk to some of y'all if I knew (laughs) just kidding not. <laughs> yeah. And so generosity is an opportunity for us to, to grow in repentance. Where do you need to repent? You know, I, listen, I've seen some people need to examine their hearts with respect to repentance because they actually think the tithe is there to give the way they want to. <laughs> Let me tell you something. God demands the tithe goes to the church. Why? precisely because he doesn't want you to think you have control. I find especially with wealthy people, they, they think that they can, they can control wherever their giving goes. And it's pride. I'm not saying every wealthy person does this. I'm saying that I've run into it with many wealthy people. If you make a lot of money, you've been blessed by God, let me tell you something. That tithe is not yours to do with as you please. Is to be brought to the church. All of the tithes throughout all of church history have been brought to the church until recently when people began to think they could spend it however they want. Examine your heart. Do you see an attitude of love, an attitude of trust, an attitude of humility, an attitude of repentance? This is an opportunity for us to grow. You know, I talked earlier about um, 
that when we read the Proverbs, one of the ways to develop a, a deeper devotional life is to read the proverb of the day during the month. So today's the 31st, you read Proverbs 31. Tomorrow's the 1st, you read Proverbs 1, and you just have your devotional that way. You can't do that and not constantly come up face-to-face with God's teachings on generosity. Why does God care? Because he knows it's the one thing that often trips us up when it comes to discipleship. That's why one of our measures of a growing disciple is surprising generosity. Examine your heart. Secondly, consider your motivation. Look at verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That's the first and highest motivation of surprising generosity, that Jesus Christ would be honored. The word honor means to have excessive weight. The, the on, to honor Christ means that he would have great weight in our lives. And we're to practice generosity in a way that Jesus is magnified in the world. That Jesus, his prestige is increased in the world. We are to use generosity to increase God's reputation in the world. The first fruits were first put into practice after Israel came out of Egypt. And when the first fruits offering is instituted, they recount the blessings of redemption, the blessings of being brought out of slavery into freedom. And so one of the motives of generosity is that we've been redeemed. And you're going to be motivated to generosity if you really understand what it is you've been redeemed from. Remember the woman, the sinful woman, the prostitute in Luke chapter 7? And Simon the Pharisee didn't do anything for Jesus, but this woman broke an expensive jar of perfume and wept over Jesus' feet and washed his feet with her hair and then dried them off with her hair. And then Jesus says, Simon, Mr. Pharisee, He was forgiven much, loves much. He's been forgiven little, loves little. Have you ever allowed your generosity to reveal to you the temperature of your love toward Christ? Because in a very real sense, that's what the Scriptures teach. See, we can talk about being committed to Christ. We can talk about loving Jesus. We can talk about being so thankful that we're saved. And God says, okay, show me. Open your checkbook. Look at your credit card statements. Does it reveal this incredible jubilation for salvation? Now listen, the point of these verses on finances and generosity, money and possessions, is not to guilt you into giving. It's to lead all of us to repentance so that we would grow in grace, 
so that we would actually be the beauty of those children to each other and to the world. Look, I don't care if a person's a Christian or not. If they saw that clip, most people would tear up. Christian or non-Christian. Why? Because of the beauty of what happens and transpires. And we will exude that same beauty when we are motivated by love, by grace, by redemption, committed to the honor of God and Christ and the Holy Spirit, then the church will exude that beauty. And just like we would be drawn in to that video, people will be drawn in to the church. Still another motivation for generosity is all the benefits God promises. They're not rewards for performance. They're simply benefits when we follow God's ways. I mean, it makes sense. If God is good and his heart is good, then every command is an invitation to our highest delight and pleasure. And if God is good and his heart is good and his word is good, then any prohibition is a warning against our worst nightmare. And in this text, Proverbs 3, 1 to 10, Every even-numbered verse is a benefit of obedience. Verse 2, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Solomon's saying money's not going to give you peace. Possessions are not going to give you peace. Financial security is not going to give you peace. Only God can give you peace. Verse 4, 2, 4, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and in the sight of God of man. Money's not going to do that. Only God's grace will. Two, four, six, verse six, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. When we, when we practice surprising generosity out of a conscious love and gratitude to God, God says that one of the benefits is the potholes will be filled and the rough places will be smoothed, and that we will walk with God in safety and security. Two, four, six, eight. Again, every even verse is a benefit. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. We all know that physical health is tied to emotional health and spiritual health. When we practice obedient generosity, it will bring healing to our souls. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10. Verse 10, another benefit. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. As we practice surprising generosity, we will be fulfilled. We will be satisfied. Not necessarily an increase in material goods and possessions, and money, but we will be satisfied. We will be fulfilled. We will be filled. Now, what I want you to notice here is when it comes to generosity, God hardly ever gets out the stick and beats us toward generosity. No, he uses the carrot. You remember that old adage, the carrot and the stick? Do you know what actually comes from the mid-1800s? And there was a cartoon that was trying to make a point uh, to people from their city. And, and the one cartoon had a picture of two guys with donkeys uh, in a carriage. 
and, and they're trying to see who can win the race. And one of the men in a carriage with a donkey has a stick, and he's frantically beating the donkey, and there's sweat coming off, and the, and the donkey does not look like it's enjoying it at all, and he's behind. The person in the lead has this very calm gentleman holding the butt end of a stick. At the end of the long stick is a carrot, and that donkey is, is just wanting to get a hold of that carrot and is constantly running after it. Our God wants to motivate generosity by showing us the carrot. That if God calls us to do what we think would be incredibly difficult, just like those kids did, incredibly difficult to say no to self and yes to somebody else's benefit. But if we do that, God says it will always be worth it. So, examine your heart, consider your motivation, and then lastly, evaluate your response. See, God is very specific when it comes to generosity. We actually have pretty objective data on whether or not we are practicing generosity. And that generosity involves, first of all, the tithe, 10%. Now listen, if you're to honor the Lord with your first fruits, I, I know there's going to be people who argue with me, and go ahead, argue with me, because I would say you're not arguing with me, you're arguing with God. But first fruits mean God get, gets paid first, Right? There's no way around it. First fruits means God gets paid first. So away with this rationalization that we tithe off of net because the government takes some of our money away. Okay, you tithe off of net, then you're saying the government gets paid first. The government gets the first fruits. First of all, why do we even care about justifying? Why do we care about rationalizing? Why do we want to tithe off of net and not gross? Because we haven't examined our hearts for trust. We're to trust God to provide. Or we're to trust him to change our hearts so that we don't care anymore about what we give up. That's where the children were. They just didn't care anymore whether they had the gift. They cared more about loving their moms. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits. You evaluate your response. Listen, this is where it gets really simple. This is completely objective. What are you giving right now to the work of Christ through Oak Mountain Church? We'll send you a statement and you can get out your W-2, and you can find out what your gross is, and you can find out what you've given. That's what it means to evaluate your response. Now listen, I'm not going to love you any less, and neither is God, if you don't obey. I'm just a messenger. I'm just trying to make it as clear as I can by letting you understand how clear the Bible is. Look, we are Presbyterians, so that means we believe that everything from the Old Testament applies directly to the New Testament Christian unless it's been specifically altered or changed by the New Testament. 
There is nothing in the New Testament that alters or changes the Old Testament church's command to bring the tithe into the storehouse. See, again, why do we even try to do the theological gymnastics to put the tithe to the Old Testament church? When when especially the New Testament church has the Holy Spirit in a way that the Old Testament church never did. And the New Testament church knows the fulfillment of redemption and the redemptive story like the Old Testament church did not. And so even if you try to pull this kind of proportional giving from the New Testament, do you actually think it would be less than 10%? Do, Do you actually think the New Testament with the Holy Spirit and the fullness of salvation is going to be less than the Old Testament church? No, we need to examine our hearts for trust and surrender. We need to be motivated by a deep love for what God has done for us and and God's care for us. He knows what we need. If we ask for a fish, he's not going to give us a snake. The problem is we really don't believe God's good and we really don't believe he's going to take care of us and we really don't believe that we're going to be able to be filled with joy and happiness and fulfillment if we don't have the things the world says we must have in order to feel happy. We're believing the world and not the word. And God is calling us to repentance. Now listen, there is such a thing as proportional giving. But it's way more intense than the tithe. You want to evaluate the widow's gift? She gave a penny. How significant could be a penny? Yet Jesus evaluated her response and said she put in more than anybody else. Now, literally, she did not. Literally, she just put in a penny. And all kinds of people put in $100. No, Jesus is saying, she honored me. That penny was all she had. So for some of us, a tithe off of what would be considered low income, it's an amazing, beautiful gift, just like the children. For others of us, $100,000 would not be honoring to God. Because it's out of surplus. And it's really not being generous at all. In Malachi chapter 3, we're reminded to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And God says to the people of Israel, I have this against you. You're robbing me. And Israel says, what? How are we robbing you? And God says, through your tithes and offerings, you fail to bring them. Folks, I'm here to tell you, in love, to hopefully goad you into repentance so that you might see afresh the beauty of what Christ has done for us. If you're not tithing, you are robbing God. I mean, it is that black and white. If you are not tithing, you are robbing God. Now, God doesn't want to throw you in prison. 
He wants to change you. He wants to bring us all to the place where, like those children, it would be the delight of our hearts to say no to self and yes to Jesus. We have new hearts. And the deep, deep desire of the new heart is to be ridiculously generous. As a matter of fact, we actually need to oppose the new heart to not be generous. And so I ask you, are you working with your new nature? Are you working with the Holy Spirit? Or are you opposing it? I think I told you before, I'll end with this. Uh, there was this, this guy who had had a stroke. And when he recovered from the stroke, his personality was completely changed. And what was changed is somehow he became pathologically generous. Like he just started giving away all their money. His wife was petrified. I mean, he's giving away their money. And, and he's loving it. It's like he's getting a rush. He's, he's high all the time. Because he's practicing generosity. And they couldn't heal him from it. It was just something that happened because he had a stroke. Something changed in his brain chemistry. Something changed in his mind. And all he could do was give. Folks, that's exactly what regeneration does to the Christian. We have a new heart. We have new minds. And the Spirit of God in us is constantly compelling us to look at two things on the table. Self, kingdom. Self, kingdom. Self, kingdom. I got to go with the kingdom. Pray for me. Because I'm real comfortable with what Lori and I are given. And I'm a little self-righteous about it. And I need to repent. I hope, by God's mercy, some of y'all will join me at the foot of the cross and we'll all repent together of the materialism that is boiling our church in our age like a frog in the kettle and we don't even know. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. On the one hand, so intense. But on the other hand, only to lead us back to Jesus. God, we are sinners. And perhaps there's no arena of life that exposes us more than generosity. God, we'd rather talk about some really heinous sin in our lives than show each other our checkbooks. Why is that? And so, Father, we really do want to be your people who show forth the beauty of no longer caring for ourselves, but who seek first the kingdom of God and, and its righteousness. So God, pour out a spirit of grace upon this place. Lead us to repentance 
and real transformation. We pray this, that you, along with the Son and the Spirit, would be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and hear the benediction. Again, the reminder, we can't do this on our own. As a matter of fact, we won't want to do this apart from the Spirit. But the Spirit can actually make it a delight. The Spirit can actually make it that this is the most fun thing we've ever done in our lives. May God do it. Receive the benediction. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Abba Father and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and